This is the Talk Theatre in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guest is Jenny Avery, the new artistic director at Next Theatre in Evanston. Um, and we're going to talk about Next Theatre, its past and its future. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you. So maybe you could tell us um, just a little bit about how you came into this role. You've been an actor around town for decades, long time. Decade and a half. Decade yeah. and a half, right? <laughs> so I've, I guess I come at it two different ways. One is that I have a history with the next. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been an artistic associate there for, I think, six years Pretty much from the beginning of Jason Loweth's term. Uh-huh. Did um, you know Jason, or you just auditioned for him? I did know Jason. I knew Jason when he was a casting director at Court, mm. and uh, was really excited when he took over next. We had become pretty friendly. And I was in um, Measure for Measure, which was a production he did in the first season that he was artistic director. And after that, I just kept being in shows. I think uh-huh. I've been in... I think it's five uh-huh. productions, and he started collecting a group of artistic associates, I think in his second or third year, and there's a big sort of wonderful group, very varied group of artistic associates, yeah. and I've been part of that. So because of that, I've been in the loop with Next Theater for a long time. I was very bought into Jason Loweth's mission, mm-hmm. um, so there's so there's that aspect of it. Um, and then really ever since college, and even in college, I did a lot of um, interning and then working uh, in administrative um, positions at different theaters in mm-hmm. both New York and then in Chicago. And um, in sort of instead of being a waiter, which I... Uh-huh. couldn't sort of figure out how to do. I thought I'd be a really bad waiter. So instead, <laughs> I started doing administrative jobs. Uh-huh. I worked uh, as a intern in a theater called the Lambs Theater in New York for a while. I worked in their box office, and I helped write grants. So I sort of learned early on how to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at the National Endowment for the Arts for a while, oh. my junior year in college. I worked in New York for an organization that helped small theater companies get their 501c3 status, Hmm. um, helped them with board development. So I sort of learned how to help people before I even knew how to do these things myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always been interested in that aspect of theater. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've envied actors who are very, um, have blinders on and really only want to act, but that hasn't been me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always someone, I think one of the reasons I love being a member of Stradog is I love to paint a bit of the set and I love to know that people are coming to the show and I, I need to sort of know all about it uh-huh. in order to feel invested in it. Which I actually think is why this artistic director thing, although it's not something that I actually aspired to be, mm-hmm. um, sort of is a great culmination of a lot of things I've done. Mm-hmm. I've been a managing director. I've been um, the head of an outreach program for theaters. I've been a grant writer. Um, I've been an actor. I've dabbled a little bit in directing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a teacher for a long time now. So... And I even oddly thought, you know, last year before any of this was an idea in my head that this would ever happen, I thought, what, what is all this? Why have I been doing all these things? What are they? Uh, what do are they, they all what end are up? They, exactly. Yeah. And then um, this sort of fell in my lap in a weird way through all these circumstances. And um, it, when I became the interim, uh, 
which I really thought was all it was going to be. Yeah. Um, it all sort of fell into place. Well, let's just quickly fill in people who may not know. There was kind of a crisis at Next Theater with the last artistic director. Um, and I'll just quickly sketch it, and then you tell me if I got it right. Uh, he was um, involved. He directed a show called Return to Haifa. And turns out that at least some of the script, um, not through the playwright's fault, not the adapter's fault, had uh, he had interpolated some plagiarized material from another playwright's adaptation of the same novel. Correct. So that was a huge brouhaha. He resigned uh, and undoubtedly would have been fired if he hadn't. Is that correct? Um, well, I think it's up to interpretation, but uh, he was actually let go from the theater. It, clearly, it was time to part ways. Um, so you, as a baby artistic director, never having done it before, <laughs> step into this huge mess. Um, it was it was very, you know, got a lot of play in the press. It Chris certainly Jones did. covered it. Everybody in the Chicago theater community knew about it. And I don't know um, actually any details, but I imagine that the board was very beleaguered. There may have been. Um, they were. Uh, did any of the board resign? Um, one board member had resigned during Jason Sutherland's tenure. Mm. No board members amazingly resigned after, after. this happened. Yeah. It's sort of astounding and quite a, um, quite a reflection of who these people are and their commitment to the theater that nobody left. left. So, And then also you lost one other uh, staff member, production well, Pretty much the moment I stepped into the interim, I was told that the other two staff members were leaving. Mm. <laughs> so it was a great first day. Yeah. So you were <laughs> thrown into the deep end. I was. <laughs> and um, so I guess I'm just really interested in talking about how you cope with that and what you saw your job as being and what you did. You obviously did things right because you've now been asked to be the permanent artistic director. And as you say, you kind of backed into this. This wasn't at all what you were setting out to No, happen. I happened to be in the um, show, the last show of the season at the next War with the Newts, and so I was one of the first people that found out that this mm. was happening. I um, know a bunch of the board members from my long tenure as an artistic associate, and I was actually just very concerned about our board chair. She's a wonderful woman, mm. and I am friendly with her, and I felt like she's been through a, a lot of the ups and downs at Next and that she didn't really deserve to be having to deal with you this. So I actually asked her out for a drink. Me and one of the other artistic associates asked her out for a drink to find out what was going on and to see if she was okay and see if she needed anything. Hmm. And as she was talking about this interim artistic director position, I thought, I could do that. Oh, I could do that thing. I could do mm -hmm, that thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess... Maybe I should think about doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed with a couple of board members, and we all felt like it was a good idea. And the idea was that it was going to be for six months while they were doing the search, which mm -hmm. they did start doing. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, our production manager, Dim Jim Davis, um, who loves this theater very much, um, decided that he would like to step up and be in the managing director spot, although he's calling himself the producing director. Um, and none of those tags means a lot to me or probably to my listeners. But. No, and I don't know that there's really uh, that much difference except that he is still doing a lot of the production management, which means overseeing the day-to-day -day of the productions, mm -hmm. um, which sometimes a managing director wouldn't do. But he's also doing the business of the theater. He he talks to the accountant. and He, he talks to the accountant, and he manages the cash flow. And right. so he does crunch numbers, but mm -hmm. he also does a lot of the contracting of the artists. And 
um, making sure that the set is being built on time and all of those sorts of things, which is really what his forte is. But he's an amazing man, and he stepped up and um, has done an unbelievable job. And so with him and me and a new woman who's taken over as the audience services person who deals with all of our subscribers and ticketing and front-of-house issues, uh, somehow magically this team... Uh, started working really well together mm-hmm. right from the beginning. I don't know. I actually believe that in crisis, lots of great things happen. Um, it makes you much less complacent. Yeah. And it makes you very creative. I think we've been very creative in some of the ways in which we've solved some some of the issues that are facing us. And so the board looked at that and saw that there was this team that was working really well and decided that it made more sense to keep that team together right. if we wanted to stay, which we all decided that we did. That is a great story of something good coming out of something really awful. Well, what have been the um, the the most scary challenges for you? Well, there have been a lot of scary challenges, but I didn't know at the time that I was dealing with them that they were scary. I only kind of <laughs> thought about that afterwards. Right. One of the things that the board asked me to do, uh, they scrapped the season mm-hmm. that had been in place. Um, and why did they do that? That was not obvious to me. Okay. Um, well, part of there's a couple reasons. One is that two of the four shows that were being programmed were going to be directed by Jason Sutherland. That's a good reason. So that didn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. The first show of the season was going to be a co-production with a company that Jason knew in Boston, but mm-hmm. that nobody else knew. So mm-hmm. that also that relationship seemed odd. Mm-hmm. And then the one of the other plays. Um, was by a playwright, Phyllis Nage, who's British, mm-hmm. who they were going to fly in, which was enormously expensive, and also that was a relationship that Jason had built and not one that anybody else in the theater right. had. Right. So that started to not make sense. The fourth play, Benedictus, which is a really lovely play and perfect for next, um, what happened with that was when I came in and was tasked with redoing the season, that one was still there Mm -hmm. and was to be directed by Lisa Portes, who Mm -hmm. was the director of the first show of our season and is also an artistic associate. Um, It started to just not make sense with the other plays that I was programming. Mm -hmm. It didn't really fit. Mm -hmm. Um, So, And we also went partially because of the schedule, because we were starting late, and partially for financial reasons, we went from a four-show season to a three-show season. Mm -hmm. And the play just started to not make sense. It's still in the hopper as something we might want to do. It's Mm -hmm. a great play. Mm -hmm. Um, It just didn't seem right for what, what I was doing. Right. So that's, so that's why we scrapped it. But in doing so, I had about a month to reprogram. We were way behind. I mean, this was July 1st, right. and the season, in theory, was supposed to start in October, late September. Um, and I just started. I didn't. I just didn't think about it. You I didn't, didn't know how ridiculous this was. I didn't because yeah. I've never done it. Right. I mean, I've helped start. I've helped program seasons at Strawdog and at Roadworks, where I used to work long ago. And mm-hmm. so it's not like it was a totally new thing to me. But I. No, I didn't really realize what a ridiculous task it was <laughs> until it was over. Right. I'm just, you know, in that way, I did put blinders on, and I really just, I, and I'm also not, oddly, a very good play reader. I mm. usually need to hear plays out loud yeah. in order to know whether they're um, stage-worthy, right. but I didn't have time to do that. So I was reading two to three plays a day um, and talking to playwrights and talking to directors 
And I think one of the reasons that this has been a good fit and that it has been working and the reason one of the reasons why they hired me is because I've been in Chicago for 16 years. And as an actor, you work at a lot of different theaters. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so it was really easy for me to get on the phone and say to my friend Kimberly Sr., I need you to direct this season. Can we work that out? Um, I, you know, and the theater uh, community in general was so unbelievably embracing Mm -hmm. to Next Theater, to me, to Jim. Um, There are a lot of people, including Martha Levy and David Hawkinson, and um, the list goes on and on, people who were so um, incredibly helpful and um, receptive and took my calls whenever I needed them Mm -hmm. to and um, really helped guide me through this process. Um, so I just read an enormous amount of plays and talked to an enormous amount of people. And um, a couple of the artistic associates uh, really helped. They read plays along with me mm-hmm. and were kind of my sounding board. And How did you define the universe of plays you would read? Um, well, um, my very good friend Nick Diamond, who is the artistic director at Stradog and who I have known for, I don't know, something like 12 years now, um, sat down with me. We had coffee as soon as I took on this interim position, and he reminded me of the things that we've done at Stradog in terms of values and mission of a company and Mm -hmm. how those things are a good guide for how you make these sorts of decisions, which was incredibly helpful. And I basically just thought about what are the words that come to mind when I think of next? Right. Um, What is this? What is this mission? And how do I interpret this mission into a couple of active adjectives or verbs? And those things kind of guided me along the way. What were those verbs and adjectives? Um, Smart, sophisticated, Um, a company that does not talk down to its audience, that Mm -hmm. asks questions that are not to be answered by the play, but by the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, Plays that um, elicit a lively discussion, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things that I love about this theater and about this audience. It's one of the things that kept bringing me back to the theater. Um, And it's one of the reasons I wanted to become the interim artistic director, because I do really believe that Next fills a very particular niche. I think it serves a particular community, and not that that can't be enlarged all the time, and I hope Mm -hmm. it will be, but I think um, especially the Evanston community is just an incredibly smart um, and very theater-savvy community. Yeah. I have noticed when I've been in plays at Next, even ones that the audience didn't necessarily love, they wanted to discuss the play. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's the exciting moment in the theater. Two, half to two-thirds of the audience stays for post-show discussions every time. Yeah. I don't know of many places where that's true. It's really exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were talking before the interview started about... Um, I brought up the kind of what is the culture of next, and uh, you've just said smart and um, open-ended asking questions. Though your marketing materials and kind of I don't know if it's directly in the mission statement, but certainly it kind of comes through is the word provocative. Yes, it is. The mission is um, to produce socially provocative, um, artistically adventurous work. Uh huh. Well, so what is socially provocative? (laughs) Well. I, this has been a really interesting journey for me in that I think that every single artistic director probably interprets that differently. 
Um, and I am sort of finding my aesthetic through doing this job. I didn't really know that I had one, but uh-huh. now I realize I kind of do. Um, I loved Jason Lowitz's aesthetic. I was very bought into it, but I realized that we diverge a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so for me, socially provocative does not mean button pushing. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of playwrights and a lot of um, literary agents send me things that I think or I interpret as being particularly button pushing. Right. And I actually find those, maybe because I'm getting older, I don't know what it is. Um, I find them almost offensive sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, because I go back to that idea of I feel like they're talking down to the audience a yeah. little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for me, socially provocative, again, is about this idea of, of asking important or engaging questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but within, within this socially provocative, artistically adventurous, I realized that I really like a good story. Uh-huh. You and a lot of your audience, right? Luckily, right. we agree on that. Um, and this is not to put down Jason Loweth at all, because I, like I said, I love his work, and I think he's really smart, and he probably knows a lot more about all of this than I do, really, ultimately. But I think he his aesthetic was um, more... Um, Maybe a little riskier. He was mm-hmm. interested in plays that played around with language uh, in a way that I am not as interested, mm-hmm. I find. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm perfectly open to that, but there has to be a good story. There mm-hmm. has to be a journey of the characters. There has to be a beginning, middle, and end that I understand in terms of basic story structure. And I'm not that interested with just playing around with the techniques of stagecraft, I find. yeah. yeah. So, so maybe the artistically adventurous is less interesting to you in some ways, not trying to break the mold of the yes, that's play right, and so forth. Um, but I think artistically adventurous can also mean lots of different things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't um, have to be the script. It doesn't have to be the script. It can be uh, what we do with the space, which I, that's something that I'm really interested in mm-hmm. trying to break through a little bit, although. Mm-hmm. There are confines at the Noise Cultural Center in terms of doing that. Right. But I find that um, I love being there, but I find that space difficult in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's a very uh, standard. You've got a proscenium and not a lot of, you don't have a lot of height. In, is that right? Don't have a lot of height. It is a standard proscenium. And to me, there's a little bit of distance between the audience and the stage. Mm-hmm. And um, especially after all my years at Stradog, where it's so immersive and so immediate and to me really exciting, yeah. that kind of work, I'm I'm interested in figuring out how to break that divide. Mm-hmm. I think we did that a little bit with the piano teacher. I want to continue to figure out how to do that in interesting ways. We'll talk about the two upcoming plays and mm-hmm. how you see those fitting into both your aesthetic and the theater's mission. Um, Madagascar is a play by J.T. Rogers, who wrote The Overwhelming, which was a really big hit for the theater in the 08-09 season. Um, which was a great play and a great production. This play is really different from mm-hmm. The Overwhelming. Um, it's, that play was very visceral. You saw things happening on stage. They're both thrillers, but Madagascar is a much more intellectual, um, psychological thriller as opposed to something that... It's more the ideas that are being put out there versus something you're seeing on stage. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller, tighter play. 
What is the the issue, so to speak? It's about three different people um, in the same hotel room in Rome overlooking the Spanish steps in three different periods of time, and their connection is a person who has mysteriously disappeared, and they're dealing with that. And it's, it is a political play in a lot of ways, um, but it's also an incredibly personal play about the nature of truth, the nature of loss, um, and dealing with a loss that hasn't been resolved because this person has never been found. Mm-hmm. And and just to push a little further, what are the sort of more political, social issues in it? Because so far that's a personal. Story. Yeah, the political issues have to do with this idea of, and this is interesting because it was also in The Piano Teacher, and mm-hmm. it's obviously something that's on my mind. Right. This idea of Americans looking at other countries where terrible strife is happening uh-huh. and saying, oh, that's awful, but we sit back in our lovely middle, upper middle class homes uh, in comfort and don't actually do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, that's that's where the political comes into this play. Okay. And then this, the third play of the season. The third play is a little bit of a risk. And this is um, actually is an artistically adventurous play mm-hmm. and also probably more socially provocative than the other two in some ways or in a different way. It's an Adam Rapp play mm-hmm. um, called The Metal Children, and it is um, based on an actual thing that happened to Adam Rapp. He, uh, aside from being a playwright, is also a an author of young adult novels, and he wrote one that was banned in a Pennsylvania school district. And he was asked to go to a school district meeting to represent his work. Mm. Um and this play is based on that experience. And it's uh, a little bit on the fantastical side. It has moments of violence that are um, sort of shocking mm-hmm. in an Adam Rapp play kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's definitely a different kind of play than the next audience is used to. But it's also really funny, or at least I think it's really funny. Um and I love what it's about. I mm-hmm. love uh, I love the idea of um, talking about book banning and First Amendment rights. And um, what I also love about the play and why I think it's a great fit for Next is that the argument is very um, unbiased. There's mm-hmm. both sides are represented incredibly well. And in mm-hmm. fact, um, I it made me question my ideas about whether a book should be banned in a school, which I assumed I would never want that to happen. Right. And he puts out the argument for the other side so well that it really makes you think about it. That's impressive. And that is, I think, the playwright's job. You have to um, empathize so completely with all of your characters that you create plausible positions for them. Yeah. But it's amazing that he could do that in an autobiographical story. It is great. He also talks about small town versus uh, large city mentalities, and you could easily assume that he was going to write really cliche mm-hmm. parts for the people from the small town, and in a way he does, and then they sort of zing you with something really, mm-hmm. really wise and really smart, Right, and it makes you rethink your idea of who these people are. Right. And they really are smart people everywhere. Um, <laughs> we we yes. do know that. <laughs> yes. Uh but sometimes in fiction, you assume you're going to get a particular kind of person right. um, represented. And he, I, I think this is a really um, sophisticated play in a lot of ways. And it surprises you, its sophistication. Mm-hmm. 
Now, neither of those are Chicago playwrights, is that right? Um, no, J.T. Rogers is New York, and um, Adam Rapp is originally from Joliet, hmm. but he lives in New York now. Is that at all part of your? I would love to. Um, I would love to have some Chicago playwrights on the roster, and in fact, in the spring. That was a lovely segue. Thank uh-huh. you. Um, we're doing a new play lab, which um, is sort of a, an homage to something that used to happen at the next in uh, the Steve Pickering, Dexter Bullard days yeah. of the of the next lab. Um, so we're sort of reinstating that and reimagining that, and it's for Chicago playwrights and for Chicago directors. And so those are that's a reading series. It's actually not. Um, oh. It's sort of somewhere between a reading series and Steppenwolf's first look series. Great. Because they are going to be off book. They mm-hmm. are going to be staged. There is going to be design elements. It's just going to be fairly simple. And those plays have also been chosen. Those are... Yep. They're all chosen. So you not only programmed... <laughs> is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I not only programmed um, three main stage plays, I programmed these plays. And we also do that that series, the new playwright series, as part of a series called What's Next, which we've been doing all throughout the year, which, aside from these new plays, has been mostly solo performance work, mm-hmm. mostly Chicago-based people, although we had we had one import. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little... A little crazy. Um, But the new Plays Lab, I'm partnering with one of our artistic associates named Justin Palmer. And he actually did a lot of the work on that, Mm -hmm. so I won't take credit for that one. And again, that's where being networked as you and the other artistic associates are probably made just such a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Well, that leads a little bit to a, a kind of more philosophical question that I'm interested in at least poking at a little bit, which is... You know, what is an institution? What life does it have other than the people who at this moment are, you know, represented? Um, and I don't know if you've got thoughts on that, but... Well, my my big uber thought on that is that uh, I believe that a... Um, a company continues to last beyond the particular artist if it has a mission that people buy into Mm -hmm. um, that is beyond the particular people involved. And I think Next really does have that. I think it's why it has lasted for 30 years and hopefully will last for another 30 years and way beyond my participation in it. Um, I think it's why those amazing 12 board members stayed on after after this crisis because uh, there is a really strong belief and commitment in the kind of work that Next puts out, the kind of dialogue that Next elicits in the community. Um, and I believe that the Next, although the Next has a national presence, it has a presence in the city of Chicago and beyond, but, but I think it's a really great reflection of Evanston also. Mm, right. um, and because of that, I feel like it's an institution that who, you know, all the people who built it and all the people who continue to build it keep building on that same mission that reflects this city really well. You know, that brings to mind something. Um, I, I just happened upon an article that's two years old from the New York Times um, about the complete vacuum in the American theater particularly, uh, but actually it's more than just the American theater, 
of uh, conservative playwrights. And um, oh, that's interesting. And I'm thinking about that because Evanston, you know, of course, is strongly a liberal right. community, and it would be interesting to think about, you know, is is it important to when you, for instance, set yourself up as socially provocative? Is it important, therefore, to um, push back at the you know dominant views of the community or to represent them in some way you know what are you trying to do with an audience oh that's really interesting i think um in a perfect world my opinion about that would be that i would do a little bit of both Mm -hmm. that i would both reflect and ask the audience to think beyond the the things the values that they already have and it sounds like actually you had that experience with the adam rap play yes we all oh no Book, book banning, that's terrible. And well, not only that, I have to say that I haven't been an enormous fan of his writing. Mm-hmm. It ha- I mean, I've recognized that he's a really good playwright, but his work hasn't spoken to me. And so when Joni Schultz, who's directing this play, brought it to me, I already had preconceived notions about what an Adam Rapp play was going to be, and I had to read it three times before I decided on it, because I loved that. it immediately, but I thought, how can I be loving this? It's an Adam <laughs> Rapp play. I don't like Adam Rapp. <laughs> And I and then that got me nervous about oh will my you know will the next audience like it and I to to an extent I can only make those to, that's those are random decisions mm-hmm. I don't know whether an audience is going to like something or right. not and ultimately um, Martha Levy said a really great thing to me uh, which has rung in my head as I program work and that is that you know you have to. You have to have a passion for it, and you have to have a passion and belief in the artists that you're hiring to do the work. And then if you believe in that, you can't really go wrong, even if the, even if the work doesn't end up being as successful as you would like it to mm-hmm. be. Your heart was in the right place. You put out something that you thought was worthy of being put it out there. It was sincere. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because I... I can't make decisions based on what I think somebody's going to like. Right. Um, but if I'm excited about it, then I can speak excitedly about it and try to get people to to join me in my enthusiasm for the work. And uh, and there's almost something um, you know you talked before about button pushing plays being patronizing. I think it's patronizing in a way to say, "Oh, our audience wouldn't like that." Absolutely. If you can love it. Why wouldn't your very savvy and uh, aesthetically adventurous audience love it? Well, it sounds like this is a story of, um, what is it? Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. You kind of <laughs> didn't know what you were getting into, thank goodness. And uh, yeah. <laughs> as a result, you've pulled it off. So so far, so good. We have a long way to go, but we're on the right road, I think. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. 